0: Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the institution of marriage, Lord, the the covenant, Lord. God, we know that you created it to remind us, to show us, to give us uh, understanding of Christ's love for the church, Lord, that's so far beyond even our marriages. Lord, as we saw last week, Lord, our, our marriages represent and are a testimony to this profound truth, the truth of the gospel, Lord. I pray for the marriages here at Country Oaks as we go over this important passage, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that they would be a testimony, Lord, for marriages that are struggling right now, Lord, and I know there are. Lord, I pray that your spirit just comes alongside the husband and the wife to love each other, to to submit, Lord, where there should be submission, to lead where there should be leadership, Lord. God, I just pray for our marriages. Be with us right now as we go over this passage. In your son's name, amen. Last week I said this is one of the clearest passages on marriage and the family, the one I just read. And I also said it's one of the most controversial in our culture. The biblical understanding of the family has become very offensive in our culture, in America, in Western civilization. The family has been under attack for years. And we're starting to see the effects as we see society around us falling apart in so many ways. The family is foundational to society and marriage is foundational to the family. That's why our passage this morning is so important. Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, verse 4 is one of the clearest passages on the family as a whole in all of scripture. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 is about marriage. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 is about parenting. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 33, which is the husband's role in marriage. There's three points today in today's sermon. First point is the command. The second is the example. And the third is the application. The command, the example, and the application. So let's go through these three points. The first point is the command. Look at verse 25. It just simply says, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Last week, we saw the wife's command. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Today, we have the parallel command in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. In verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, which in the first century would have been unsurprising. But verse 25, husbands, love your wives, would have been unexpected to hear. To say the least, in the first century, husbands ruled over their wives. The wife was a little bit higher than a servant within the household. In fact, the word love was never used in the Greco-Roman household codes uh, and the society around the church as a duty of the husband. Verse 25 was countercultural to the first century. I want you to think about that. I think it's interesting because the Bible just hits this perfect balance. Verse 22 is countercultural in our culture. A progressive culture influenced by feminisms. wife submit. That's a countercultural statement. Verse 25 was countercultural in Paul's culture. An ancient culture. A chauvinistic culture. A male dominant culture. Why our husbands love your wives. And the Bible has this perfect balance of the roles of the husband and wife. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Love here is, in, is, in a, is a command imperative. It's in the present tense, which last week we saw submit was in the middle voice, which we said shows a personal willingness to submit on, on behalf of the wife. But, but this week we see love, which is in the, the present tense, which emphasizes in the Greek an ongoing command. An ongoing, a continuous aspect. Which means it's an ongoing love. The Greek word is agape, which I know most of us are familiar with. That word love is a love regardless of merit. It's an unconditional love, an ongoing, unconditional love the husband is to have for the wife. The Husbands are commanded to love their wives unconditionally and ongoing and I want to remind us that, that this is the overarching theme of Ephesians. Remember, love and unity is the overarching theme of the book of Ephesians. Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, commanding these two things, to love and to be unified as a church. In fact, I just want to look at verse 21 again, just to remind us the context of, of, of the verse that we're looking at today, or the passage we're looking at today. Verse 21 Chapter 5 verse 21 says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the one another that's within the church. We are called to have a mutual submissiveness to each other, to one another for the sake of unity. One pastor put it this way, "The the filling and control of the Holy Spirit will lead us to a spirit of humility. To the spirit that gives us the desire to seek the welfare of others before our own and to be mutually submissive within the church putting others before ourselves in other words submitting honer says in his commentary in this text a result of a believers filled with the spirit is submission to one another in the body of believers unbelievers tend to take great pride in their individualism and independence which leads to selfishness however believers are to act differently Jesus instructs the disciples that they would be known by their love as they love one another. Also, in other contexts, Paul instructs believers to love one another with brotherly love and to prefer one another by showing honor, humility, to count the other better than themselves. That's what submitting to one another means. It's a willingness, a humbly submit to each other's preferences, convictions, and opinions put the other's well-being before your own. That's what submitting to one another means. But what I think is interesting is that verse 21 acts as a transition to what many theologians call the household codes. Where Paul addresses three different groups. Wives, husbands, children, parents, bondservants, masters. Meaning even within the household codes, there's a mutual responsibility to each other, a mutual submission to each other. And you see that very clearly. Paul lays that out. Look at verse 22 again. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then verse 25, you see a mutual responsibility. Husbands, love your wives. Look at verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Then look at verse 4, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Look at Ephesians 6, 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now look at verse 6, or verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him there's a mutual responsibility toward each other in the household codes why do I bring this all up well remember the overarching theme and purpose of Ephesians is love and unity within the church and I think Paul is showing that love and unity starts within the home the family is not just the building blocks of society in many ways the family is the building blocks of the church Love and unity starts at home. A healthy church will have healthy families. Out of all the people, too, I want you to see this. Out of all the people Paul gives a command to within the household codes, wives, husbands, children, parents, bond servants, masters, Paul spends most of his time on the marriage relationship. Ephesians 5:22 through 33, 11 verses on marriage. and in particular, he spends most of his time talking to husbands. And think about this: three verses on wives' responsibility to their husbands, eight verses, more than twice as many verses on the husband's responsibility to his wife. A husband's leadership is key to love and unity within the home. That means a husband's leadership is key to love and unity within the church. Husbands, you have a very important role to play within the church. A side note, this is why historically here at Country Oaks, we pray for men monthly. We bring the, bring the men forward if you're new and you haven't seen this once a month we bring them in for to pray that they would follow Christ's example of love that they would be spiritual leaders within their household and within the church they have an important role so that's the command that's given to husbands I want to look at the example now verse 25 husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church Christ is our example as Christ loved the church and that statement should be shocking. That's an impossible command. It's an impossible standard. One pastor put it this way and I I love this. Obviously, no sinful human being has the capacity or capability to love with the divine fullness and perfection with which Christ loved and will forever love the church. However, however, Because a Christian has Christ's own nature and Holy Spirit within him, God thereby provides for the husbands to love their wives with a measure of Christ's own kind of love. The husband who submits to the Lord by being filled with his spirit is able to love his wife the same kind of love Jesus has for his own bride, the church. Christ is our example, husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. That's the example. At Christ, the action is that He gave Himself up for her, the church, His bride. In fact, John fifteen thirteen says this: Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down His own life for His friends. Husbands, that's our calling—to lay down our lives for our wives. John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus talking. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep here is the church, the bride. The good shepherd, of course, is Jesus who lays down his life willingly for his bride. Look at verse 25 again. It says this, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave himself Remember, in verse 22, it says, wives, submit. Submit, again, is in the middle voice. We don't have that in English, but it's this personal personal connection to the command. It's a willingness to submit. It could be translated, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. Well, Jesus is the husband's example, and he was who willingly laid down his life and gave himself up for her. There's a selflessness in both these commands. Wife should submit yourselves. Christ gave himself up for her. Neither are force. Instead, there's a willingness, a desire on both ends. In fact, in Luke nine fifty one, it says, when the, days, when the days drew near for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up, in other words, to die for the church, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he was determined, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, to die out of his obedience to the Father. He set his face to Jerusalem and out of love for his bride. John ten seventeen says, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Christ was a willing sacrifice. In fact, turn with me to Philippians 2, verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Again, Christ is our example, husbands, on how to love our wives. Philippians 2, verse 1 says this, So, if there's any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is begging the church here, saying, If you care about me at all, complete my joy by being of the same mind. In other words, church, be unified. Verse 3 Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you, let each of you, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, in other words, a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself. Again, there's a personal willingness there. It doesn't say he was emptied. He said, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Husbands, that's our example. Jesus laid... He laid down his life. He led by giving himself up for his bride. Now turn with me to John 13. John 13, verse 1. And I, I just, if our progressive culture, if the church truly understood love your wives as Christ loved the church, no one would have any problem with, wife, submit to your husband. Look at this example, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to do the father, or, or, uh, world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved the church. He loved the bride, his disciples. He loved them. And during supper, when the devil had, had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to him. In other words, he knew he was going to die. And he also knew that all the disciples that he loved would abandon him. Deny him. It's not just Judas who betrayed him, Peter. That very night... In a number of hours, knowing all this, verse 4, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel. He tied it around his waist and poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Feet were nasty. Very few baths. They wore sandals everywhere in dusty, dirty condition. Only the lowliest of servants would ever wash feet. But out of Jesus' love for his disciples, having loved his own, it says in verse 1, Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. Now skip down to verse 12. It says this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. In other words, I am Lord. I have authority. I am leading you. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Jesus is our example. Now turn back to Ephesians 5 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, I've officiated a number of weddings now, but there's been a, a few where the husband has washed the, the bride's feet in the middle of the ceremony. In fact, as soon as they were officially married, the first thing that they did as a married couple was have the husband wash the bride's feet. This symbolizing the type of love and leadership that a husband is called to the type of love Christ has for the church you know this is not the picture that most egalitarians or feminists paint when they when they see Ephesians 5 or when they criticize the biblical roles in marriage In our culture, women have become competition. Not precious gifts from God. But our example is Christ. Jesus used his authority to love and serve his bride, to cherish his bride. Verse 25, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That one phrase, as Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her. Sanctify means to make holy or to set apart from the world. Jesus died for the church that he may sanctify her. Verse 26, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The washing of water is a metaphor for purification or purifying stains or dirtiness. It's cleansing those that were caused by sin. The word here is God's word, in particularly the gospel, the spoken word, the good news. Verse twenty six that He might sanctify her, having washed her by the, or by having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's interesting. Culturally, in ancient Greece, a bride-to-be would be taken down to a river and be bathed and ceremonially cleansed before the wedding, symbolizing the marriage being a new beginning. Normally, the bride would prepare herself in the the bridal bath, after which the bridegroom would, would go and take her to his house and present her to his father in her splendor and beauty. Paul is drawing from this cultural custom and saying Jesus has led his bride to holiness, to to sanctification, to cleansingness, that he might present the church, his bride, to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that she might be sanctified. That's our example. Which leads to our third point this morning, the application. The application, verse 28 says, In the same way. Do you understand the calling of the husband? In the same way husbands should love their wives. Husbands, you are called to love your wife in the same way Christ loved the church. In a sacrificial love, in a sanctifying love to lead her to holiness. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. This is the same analogy we talked about last week. In verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. In marriage, in other words, the husband is the head, the wife is the body, and And the husband has a responsibility then to direct and to lead the body, his wife. And look at verse 28. It says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself for no one one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it. Again, think of the analogy, the head and the body, one flesh. Of course, the head should do whatever it can to love, to cherish, to nourish, to protect his own body, they're one. It's part of him, it's his body. He who loves his wife loves himself, verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. There's two words here Paul uses, nourish, and the Greek is trepho, which literally means to provide food for physical nourishment nourish is a good translation, or nourishes is a good translation, but the implication goes beyond just the physical nourishment. It applies to spiritual nourishment, too. To her holiness and sanctification. Cherishes thalpo, which literally means to warm. That's what it means to warm. To be warm towards, not cold. To be warm towards your bride. To take care of but the implication of cherishing and having concern for. Husbands, we were called to nourish and cherish our wives. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I said this last week. It's clear in Scripture that God didn't look down at marriage and say, You know what, that's a good analogy. I think I'll use that. We learn in the New Testament, especially here, that God created marriage to be a testimony of Christ's profound love for the church, to be a testimony of the gospel. You know what that means. It means your marriage is not about you. So we said last week, your marriage is bigger than you. It's not about your happiness. It's about a testimony of Christ's love for the church. I said this last week. Wives, you, you, you have the responsibility to love respect and submit to the the headship of your husbands and when you do this even if your husband is unworthy you're a living testimony of God's grace husbands you have the responsibility to love sacrifice and to lead your wife and family to holiness you are the spiritual leader of your household And when you lead out of love, even if your wife is unworthy, you are a living testimony of God's grace. And that's why Paul ends this passage by saying, verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Husbands, you have the responsibility To love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wife, you have the responsibility to respect your husband, to submit to his leadership of your home. That's the application. I want to end this sermon by a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I just read his biography recently. If you don't know who that is, he's a German during the World War II, he was imprisoned and killed because of his involvement in a failed assassination attempt against Hitler. He was a pastor, he was a theologian, and he was a martyr. He was killed before he ever was able to get married, but he was engaged while he was in prison, and he just wrote this beautiful letter that is actually famous now to his fiance about the role of a husband, and he says this, Now when the husband is called the head of the wife and it goes on to say as Christ is head of the church something of the divine splendor is reflected in our earthly relationship. And this reflection should be recognized and honored. The dignity that is here ascribed to the man lies not in his capacities or qualities of his own but in the office conferred on him by his wife, or by his marriage, sorry. The wife should see her husband clothed in this dignity. But for him, it is he who is responsible for his wife, for their marriage, and for their home. On him falls the care and protection of the family. He represents to it, to the outside world, he is the mainstay, the comfort. He is the master of the home who exhorts punishes helps and comforts and stands for it before God husbands one day we will stand before God and answer to him how we loved and led our wives let's do it well as Christ loved the church let's pray dear only father god Even as I preach from this passage, Lord, I am so intimidated by verse 25's love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I know that's an impossible calling, Lord. It's an impossible standard. But all things are possible through you, Lord. You have given us the spirit and the power, Lord, to love like Christ did. God, give us... Humility, Give us gentleness, Lord. Give us kindness, Lord. Give us a love for our wives, a cherishing, Lord, of our wives, Lord. God, I pray not only that, that we lead, Lord, courageously lead well, Lord, that we point our families to you, that we point our wives to you, Lord, that, that we are the spiritual leaders of the household, Lord. God, give us courage to be that. God, I thank you for this challenge, Lord. I thank you for the example. I thank you for the command. It's only possible through you, Lord. Help us as men to submit to you by leading our families. In your son's name, amen.